Let's open our Bibles. Let's get straight into it this morning. Um, Romans. Making our way for a visitor here this morning. We have been making our way through the book of Romans. It is the... I, I, I personally believe it is the greatest document that has been given to mankind within the greatest document. You know what I mean? You know? Within the Bible, it, to me, it is the greatest document. It's talking about the righteousness that comes from heaven, the righteousness that is apart from the law. In other words, the righteousness of God that can be attributed to mankind based upon nothing more than our faith, nothing more than our, our trusting in God. And, uh, and which is, that's why it's the most incredible document, because in our world and in, in our own um, humanness, we want to earn things. We want to make things happen. We want to provide a way for ourselves. We want to be able to get to the end of this journey, this sojourn, and sing that song, I did it whose way? Well, that's no way to go. The only way is God's way, and God's way is justification by grace through faith. It's not a work. It's, it, it's not your own works. It's his works. And that's the wonderful thing about this story. God holds nothing against us. Look, there is a story that is, that is told and like every single pastor, every single commentary refers to it. And it talks about a man who brought a vehicle. He brought a, um, a Rolls Royce. And uh, you heard the story? He brought a Rolls Royce and a and, uh, very, very wealthy man. And um, he went, he was in England. He went on holiday to, uh, he went on holiday, I think, to the continent, somewhere in France, somewhere like that. He was driving around and this magnificent vehicle stopped working. And so he, he phoned um, the company, Rolls Royce, back in England. And the company immediately put one of their engineers on a plane, drove, uh, flew them to France, put them in a car, drove them to where this man was, picked him up, took him, placed him in a hotel, and then, then fixed the car, drove it to the hotel. He got up the next morning and drove away in his Rolls Royce and had a wonderful time. Weeks went by, he's back at home, months go by, he's back at home, and he's waiting for the bill. I mean, because you own these cars, he's thinking they cost you money. He, who, 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 the bill doesn't come, and finally, because money's not really an issue to him, finally he rings the company and he says, hey, look, I was in the south of France, my car broke down, you sent a, you sent a mechanic from England, it must have been incredible expense, he fixed the car, I haven't got a bill, where's the bill? The man said, well, let me put you through to my supervisor. So he goes to his supervisor, his supervisor comes, talks to him on the phone, and he says, uh, yes, what's the problem, sir? And he says, well, um, I have... Um, I had this car, it broke down in France, blah, 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 blah. Supervisor says, well, sir, we have checked our records and our records tell us there has never been a Rolls-Royce broken down anywhere in the world. <laughs> that is, that is justification. That's what God has done for you and I. There is no record held against you when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this whole book is all about. The justification by faith, sorry, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. 
And so we've been making our way through this book. You know, the opening chapters, Paul talks about this wonderful gospel. But he, and he talks about how this wonderful gospel has been uh, revealed and, and has, been, has been made open, declared to us. He also talks about there also that the wrath of God has been revealed and made open and declared to us. And then he began to unfold the reality of every human being, every man, woman and child ever born on this planet, is that they are what? Steve, Steve Prater this morning. We've all fallen short. Every single one of us. In the first three chapters to midway to the third chapter, he wants to bring home the reality that every single one of us is a lost sinner who needs forgiveness, who without the work of God cannot stand in the presence of God. None of us. None of us. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if we're kings or queens, peasants, paupers. It doesn't matter. He brings us all to the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, all of humanity stands on level ground, looking up, needing a saviour. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And he brings mankind, in a sense, before the courtroom of God to expose the guiltiness of us all, to remind us, not to condemn us, not to condemn us, but to remind us that we have a, we have a need. We need forgiveness. We need a saviour. Every single one of us. And then he begins to unfold... I mean, this fourth chapter, he's been holding up examples to us, examples of the great faith of Abraham and how he was accounted righteous, not by the things that he'd done, but by his what? His faith. And so we've looked at that. We looked at that last week. And this morning, we want to continue in that as we want to look at the faith of Abraham. And it is a faith that believes in a great God. That's the example to us. He believes in a great God. He is a God who speaks and it is done. This is the greatness of our God. His word is truth and it will come to pass. This is who our God is. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who reverently fear him. This is who our God is. He is a great God. He is a strong God who shows himself strong on our behalf. That's the God we worship. That's the God of Abraham. And so, again, just to refresh us, Abraham is held up as an example of this faith based upon the promise that he received and how he believed in that promise. Can I take you back there just quickly? Abraham received the promise of God by faith. And that promise being that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, would have a son. And the promise was not just that he would have a son, because sons are born every day, aren't they? Doesn't see anything too remarkable about that. But this son that Abraham would have would be of incredible importance to all of humanity. This is the strength of the promise. His son would be the beginning of many nations, of many nations, and from them would come one who would the whole world would be what would be blessed by, through the one that would come through his lineage. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham was called by God out of Ur of the Chaldees. God called him out and God said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
That's when the promise first came to him. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the original promise. We come to Genesis chapter 15 and the promise is repeated to Abraham years later when God came to him and said, actually, God brings him outside. God brought him outside and he said, you look up towards the heavens and you count those stars if you can, is the sense of it. You count those stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall be your descendants. And the ultimate fulfillment of this repeated promise to Abraham would be, of course, the saviour of mankind. We come to the New Testament and we find the Apostle Paul in the book of Genesis in the third chapter saying, Now to Abraham, his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, Paul says, he does not say unto his seeds, that is plural, as of many, but as of one seed, and to your seed, who is, what does he say, who is? Is Christ, is Jesus Christ. Abraham receives this incredible promise that would begin through him. This is the enormity of it. It would begin through him, but also it would promise, it was also a promise that we looked at last week, and we saw that it was still 25 years from being fulfilled when it was first given to him. God spoke to him first when he was how old, people? Anybody know? 75 years old. 75. And it would be 25 years before that promise. We know from the benefit of hindsight of the word of God, it would be 25 years until that promise would ultimately be fulfilled in the birth of his son Isaac. But again, just imagine... Just imagine trusting. That's what faith is. It's trusting for so long for a promise that is so important. It's trusting for so long for a promise that has such incredible consequences. Now you think about it. 25 years was Abraham waiting without the slightest evidence of this possibly happening. In fact, the evidence that was building in his life was against the possibility of it happening. Why? Because he was getting older and she was getting older. That's the reality of living by faith. That's what it's all about. The promise is guaranteed from the moment that God says it. But faith is waiting. It is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. They are the things that God has said. The evidence of things, well, not yet seen. And again, let's not forget, 25 years later, he will be, well, he'll be 99 when the, when the, the last time the Lord makes a promise to him. 99 and she will be 90. And that just reminds me, as I said last week, that just reminds me, and I know it reminded Abraham, of the human impossibility of having any part in this promise being fulfilled. A promise that man can have no involvement in. And what did Abraham do? He just chose to believe, right? He believed in such a way. And again, recapping, he believed in such a way, the man then called Abram... <coughs> Abram means exalted father. In such a way that he now said, hey, you call me father of many 
or father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. Because he understood that this great, and this is where we were last week, he understood that this great and powerful God that we serve creates life where none exists. That's where verse 17 came in. That's where we started last week. Abraham believed God who gives what? Gives what? Life to the dead. And he calls those things which do not exist as if they exist, as if they already exist. Look, his friends, his friends may have looked at Abraham and Sarah and thought, hey, there ain't no life coming from those bodies. And I'm sure, I'm sure they did. But Abraham believed, we're told. Abraham rejoiced, we're told. Abraham gave God glory, we are told. Abraham teaches us that the decisive issue of faith is what we know about the God who we place our faith in. Amen. Nothing to do with how much belief we can generate within ourselves. But what we know about the God who we place our faith in. Who is he? He is exalted, is he not? That's what we come to do in here, to exalt him, to lift up his name. He brings life again where there is death. He speaks of our glorious destiny. That was what the promise was to Abraham. And won't be stopped. That's the thing about our God. When he speaks and what he speaks in his word, it will not be stopped the word of God is sure. That brings you, Christian. That brings us our confidence. You know, you should be able to say, hey, no problem with my God. No problem with my God. That's the faith of Abraham. If you want to, re you want to reduce it to a simple, a simple vernacular like that, that's the faith of Abraham. No problem with my God. What he says happens. And so last week, we looked at how that plays out in the life of believers in relationship to the promises that God has made to all of us. We either have faith in a great God we can believe, we can trust, or we have faith in a little God that we cannot rely upon. He is a close God or he is a distant God. He is an available God or he is an absent God. I know who God is, don't you? So that's what we got to last week. So now, so you, is that okay? Can we move forward? Okay, so the, now we continue on with Abraham. Verse 18. Um, now it says there in that 18th verse, it says, Who, now he's referring to the, pro the promise had been given. This is who God is. God who brings life. God who speaks about a destiny even before it has happened. And it says, who, now speaking of Abraham, verse 18, who contrary to hope. Now, when he says contrary to hope, that is contrary to human reasoning. Contrary to human reasoning, to in hope, that is faith in God, he believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So, so shall be your descendants. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not, here it is, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. What I want us to do this morning, you might say, hey, we already talked about this last week. Um, well, yes, we did. But what I want us to do this morning is to consider the staggering nature of God's promise to us, which in itself 
This is what I want us to think about, which in itself can be a challenge to our faith. And again, most certainly for Abraham, the case of a 100-year-old man fathering a child to a 90-year-old woman is indeed a staggering reality, isn't it? Again, you, you stop and you think about it. It's almost too... The promise to Abraham beyond the birth of the child is almost too wonderful to believe, isn't it? Can you imagine being Abraham? Can you imagine... The God of the universe calls him out at night, says, look up, count if you can. They're going to be your descendants. And be reminded in his heart that years before that, God had said, it's going to be a blessing to the whole world. Who am I? Would Abraham be thinking, don't you? He's just an itinerant guy who walked off the map. That's the amazing thing about Abraham. You know? He just walked off the map. He was an idol, he was an idol worshipper in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. God spoke to him. We don't know how, but God spoke to him and said, Leave. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to do something incredible through you that's going to bless this entire human species. And he goes, Okay. And starts walking. He's an amazing man, you know. He's an amazing man. Father of many nations. Descendants innumerable. One of them would save the world. Staggering, isn't it? Don't you think? Staggering. Now Jesus said, thousands of years later, Abraham your father, talking to the Jews, Abraham your father rejoiced greatly at the prospect of seeing my day. Jesus said, he rejoiced at the prospect of seeing my day and he saw it. Abraham saw it and he rejoiced, we're told. A promise, in a sense, again, so wonderful, maybe too wonderful to believe. Yet we read that in his faith, he did not waver. When it says Abraham believed God, that word believe, the tense is given to us in the sense that he believed God when he received the promise and he kept on believing the promise until it was fulfilled without wavering. Here's the bottom line of Abraham. He refused to listen to human reasoning. He refused to look at reality Please hear this. He refused to look at reality when it conflicted with God has said to him. He refused to dwell upon the negatives that may have been thrown up before him. I mean, a year before this baby was born, you know what Sarah was doing, don't you? She was sitting inside a tent laughing about the prospect of her womb bringing life. And justifiably so. But he refused to dwell on any negative. God had given him his promise and that was enough for him. It did, and he did not waver from it. He wasn't divided. He wasn't sitting around going for 25 years. Well, I'll just wait and see if this thing's so. Now, that's a divided faith. That's not who he was. He held on to it because God had said it in his word. And that's the important thing. God had said it in his word. So again, he didn't consider the natural circumstances. Effectively, this is what Abraham did. Effectively, Abraham, what he did was he weighed up 
the human impossibility of this happening and he weighed it against the divine impossibility of God not keeping his word. And he came to the only conclusion that he could come to, and that is, if God is God, then nothing is impossible. Can I, do you want me to say that again? This is what it did. He weighed up the human impossibility against the divine impossibility of God not keeping his word and came to the only conclusion that you can come to because God is great and nothing is impossible for him. You see, here's the thing. To bring God into the picture, the first thing that we have to do is to put that which is impossible to humans outside of the picture. We have to do that. With God... Limitations don't exist. That's what we believe, right? With God, limitations don't exist. And so we see again that our faith is based upon who God is. And God who is all-powerful has no limitations. Now you apply that to your circumstances. Here's the obstacle to our faith. The obstacle to our faith is that in our humanness, in our own reasoning, we tend to look around ourselves at the available resources and we measure that up with the prevailing circumstances and then we try in our own minds to figure out how God might do something, right? And that's how we begin to pray. We start instructing God accordingly. But here's the problem with that. If we don't see the resources and the circumstances are too heavily set against us, then what happens? Then we panic, right? And we easily lose hope and unbelief begins to creep in and once again our God becomes too small, you know? Can you imagine Abraham trying to work this promise out? Think about it. Well, I'm 99. Looking good for a 99-year-old, got to admit it. You know, I'm doing okay. She's 90. I don't know. What are we, how are we going to do this? You know, what exercise programs do we need? What dietary input do we need? You know, what about this lunar conception thing that I heard somebody talking about? What about the Canaanites? Maybe they got something. No, 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 no. None of that. We don't have to figure God out. This is what Abraham teaches us. We don't have to figure him out. All we need to do, whatever your struggle is, all we need to do is believe him. Trust him at his word. That's all we need to do. And having that word in our heart, not to stagger at the great promises that God made to us. What has he made to us? What promises has he made to us? Freedom, right? Freedom from all sorts of addictions that try to get a hold of our lives. That's a promise of God, you know. Deliverance from sin. Hope for the lost, hope for the hurting, being free from fear and anxiety and all sorts of depressions that cloud so many of us and just want to pull us down. No, he promises us strength. He promises us the hope of glory. 
Let me read some verses to you. This is what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing promise that is. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. saved. Jeremiah says in chapter 29, and you will call on me and come and pray to me and I, God says, will listen. Right? Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call on him. How? In truth. Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord. Right. If any of you lack wisdom, James says, what does he say? If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask of God who gives liberally without finding fault and it will be given to you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. These amazing promises, these two incredible, in a sense, to almost believe. Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amazing promise. Isaiah chapter 40, but to those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. What's going to happen? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not grow faint. Nahum. Nobody reads Nahum anymore, do they? But Nahum says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of troubles. He cares for those who trust in him. He's a refuge for you in time of trouble. He's there. He cares for you. And I think the greatest promise of all, when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If they were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to a place to prepare for you. And if I go and prepare for you, I will what? Here it is. Here's the great promise. I will come again and I will take you to be with me. There I am. You shall also be. Jesus is going to return. Yes. And he's going to receive his own unto himself. And he's an eternal abode waiting for you. But until that day, did you hear those promises? I, I sat down last night with reams of them, you know? With reams of them. And I had to sort of pull out what I thought. Until that day, he's going to provide everything that you need in this life. He's going to be your every strength. He's going to be there for every strength. He's going to watch over you. He's going to keep you. He's going to direct you. He's going to correct you. He's going to slap you across the backside sometimes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. 
but he's going to nurture you and he's going to love you and he's going to keep you and he's never going to leave you. It's almost too wonderful to believe, isn't it? And it is staggering in a sense. Look, I don't know what your need from the Lord in your life is. All I know is that there is a promise in the matter. That's all I know. There is a promise in the matter for you right now. Whatever it is, just don't stagger at it. Hold on to it. Allow it to be yours. Trust him. This is Abraham. You know a good way? A good way to gauge our faith? is just to stop and, and measure. Well, how do I say it? Just measure how long your list of worries are. This is a good way to measure our, gauge our faith. And I say that, and I might have said this last week, but I say that because, you know, um, there can be a question that dogs our faith. It, it is. It's, it's just nipping at us all the time, you know. It's this insidious question that's constantly going, is God really there to deliver? Is he really there to provide? Is he really strong on my behalf? Is he really a powerful God? Now, we may not ever verbalize those words. We may not even form them in our thinking. But that list of worries tells us that that there is this constant question in our heart. Can I really trust God? And rather than having a life that is marked by peace that surpasses all circumstances, a person has this long list of worries that God is too little. He's too distant. Well, I'm here to remind you that's not God. That's my job. And it's your job to grow in that, as it is my job to grow in that. I'm here to remind you that he is not a distant God. I'm not here to remind you that he is not a little God. He is the all-powerful God of creation. The Lord is near to all, the Bible says, who call upon him. To all who call upon him, again, I'll say it, how in truth. He's near to you. And yes, and yes, he is trustworthy. You can lay your life In his hands, he is trustworthy because none of his promises will ever fail. Now, you've heard me say it, if not one time, a thousand times, quoting Hebrews chapter 13. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Quoting uh, Matthew chapter 28. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. His promise is to provide all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So don't be staggered. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's beyond anything that we could ever contemplate. I remember being outside of Christ. I remember being in the world. I remember trying to work it all out. I remember measuring myself against the standards of this world around me. I remember trying to build myself up. I remember trying to succeed. I remember looking ahead at the future and feeling that it's going nowhere. I remember all of the mathematics going on in my lifestyle, trying to make this happen. I knew I couldn't. I knew it wasn't possible. It was impossible and I staggered in myself. But when God spoke, when God injected his reality into my world and he became truth. You know, I, I look, I'm, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not here to boast, but 
He's my everything. You know. I know I haven't got it right all the time. I know I fail probably more than I succeed. But I'll never let him go. I'm not going to be staggered. This is the faith. I just believe. And you must believe. What's it say in verse 20? He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. Here it is. Being fully convinced that what he has promised, he is also able to perform. Forgive me for repeating myself. Abraham was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now this again is God, Abraham glorifying God, thanking God for a son that was not even conceived yet. Look, uh, you know what I would encourage you to do? Each of us, myself, all of us, this is the faith of Abraham. I want to encourage us to begin every single day by glorifying God for the things that he is going to do. You know? Have you got a need in your life right now? Of course you have. Every single one of us has. But will you praise God? Will you praise God not just for what he has done, but will you, like Abraham, praise God in anticipation of what he is going to do, even though you can't see how it possibly can be done? It's his great work. Will you give him thanks in anticipation of his great faithfulness? Don't try to work it out. Don't try to make it happen. Just praise him. As my good wife says to me all the time, Chris, just do your best and let God do the rest. You know, stop struggling with it. Stop trying to fix every problem. Just do your best and let God do the rest. This is the faith of Abraham. The moment the promise came, he began to glorify God. What a conviction that should be to us that sit around, all defeated, all discouraged, when we've got God's promises, when we've got God's promises, we should be the strongest of people. We should be the most, the most solid of individuals in this world, you know that? Because we've got his promise. We need to be strong in the faith, giving glory to God, thanking God, even though the evidence of its fulfillment is not even within my imagination, you know. Now, you know what? Some are going to say to you, Christian, when you live this way, some are going to say to you, that's blind, ranting fanaticism. That's a lunatic standing up in the face of a storm and singing hallelujah. Blind fanaticism. No, it's not. I just know God has spoken. That's all. And I am fully convinced Can you say that? I know God has spoken and I am fully convinced that what he has promised, he is able to perform it. Again, I'll say it so softly. We serve an awesome God. It's never about our circumstances. Christian, circumstances don't matter because you are fully, fully convinced. 
chatter, opposition, what anybody says, it doesn't matter because you are fully convinced. Unbelief and doubt, it doesn't matter because you are fully, fully convinced. You are persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised. And if you can say amen to that, then great things are going to happen. Wonderful things are going to take place. That's my message this morning. I've got to say, the whole reason that Abraham is lifted from history and lifted from the pages of Scripture as an example of faith is in those final verses of that chapter. And therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness, verse 22. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. So it wasn't just for Abraham, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Justification. The justification is the evidence, the fact that Jesus died upon the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. That resurrection morning, the most magnificent thing that's happened in human history, that resurrection is evidence that the Father has fully accepted the price that Jesus has paid for your redemption. You believe it. You believe it. The faith that I have been talking about, we have been talking about this morning, is the same faith... That we place in Jesus Christ that brings righteousness to your eternal souls. What does that mean? He makes you right with God. God who is holy. God who is perfect. Everything about God is holiness. You know that? Everything about God is perfection. Everything about us, apart from Christ, is unholy is imperfect and if that unholy imperfect being was to come into the presence of a holy righteous God we would be consumed by his holiness but you have been made right you have been made righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ see that's the overwhelming promise isn't it That's the staggering truth that makes every issue of life pale by comparison to the reality that God has made you righteous. He's made you holy. Hey, look, we've been sanctified every single day. We're struggling, we're making mistakes, we're doing all of that. But as far as God is concerned, as far as God is concerned, you're seated in heavenly places. As far as God is concerned, every spiritual blessing has been accounted to you. Everything that God has to offer is yours. Because you are spotless. You are white as snow. Your sins were red as scarlet. But now what? You're white as snow. That's why God says, therefore, let us come. Let us reason together. You have access to the very throne of God now because you are holy, because you are perfect, because you are righteous. Not because you have done anything, but because God has done everything. It's a staggering promise. It's a staggering promise. He forgives our sins. He imparts righteousness to us. And he looks at us as if we have never, ever sinned. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? 
hey, you know, we're going to talk about the fruit of that in the fifth chapter. We're going to talk about the access that we now have as children of God. We're going to talk about these things in the next week. But you know what? We're going to get to chapter 6 and he's going to talk about, hey, does that mean you therefore there is a license for you to sin? To continue in unrighteousness? God forbid. No, 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 no. It's a great book, isn't it? Isn't this a glorious book? Doesn't this stir your heart? I don't know. It stirs my heart. You know? This is our God. Praise him. Worship him. Honor him. Just hold on to him and never let him go. He's going to do incredible things. There's an exceeding weight of glory waiting for you, Christian. An exceeding weight of glory. You know what that word meant? Exceeding weight of glory. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. It's coming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're in this place today. And I just pray, Father, that our hearts, by your spirit, have been stirred in acknowledgement of just how awesome you are, just how incredible you are. And that we would, on our knees, in humility and brokenness and poverty of spirit, Lord, we would say thank you. Lord, we would praise you. Lord, we would not look at another person. We would not look at another human being. We would not find any excuses in humanity, but we would discover in you the answer for everything. Oh, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you in Jesus' name. Stir our hearts, we pray, to hang on to you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. I'm assuming Steve's not in the room. (laughs) 